Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which was rather extensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead. Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. So, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. My guest today is Kimberly Atkinstor, who is the senior opinion writer and columnist for the Boston Globe opinion section. And you've also seen her on MSNBC. She hosts the Politicon podcast called Sister-in-Law and is also a guest host on WBUR's On Point. So, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on the enemies list today. I wanted to just catch up because, you know, it's been a pretty slow news week, as you can imagine. And and I wanted to just get your perspective a little bit on how the news and the media is handling this incredibly consequential moment we're having with the Trump indictments and this and this looming national political crisis that that is is wrapped up in it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us do the best that we can with a lot of information that is coming out quickly that can be confusing, but that is also incredibly important. I mean, you mentioned the podcast, hashtag sisters in law. That came together just because I and the other three co-hosts, Barb McQuaid, Joyce Vance, and Jill Winebanks, we would talk to each other, you know, just to try sure. to parse what was going on and, and what it might mean. And we thought those conversations would be helpful to be public just so that other people can help understand from the perspective of four people with a legal background uh, and a political background, just to put it together. And, and one gratifying thing about that is that we hear from our listeners that things, we make it make sense. And it's disheartening to see some reporting that since the first indictments dropped, that now it's reaching a point where it seems to be noise to a lot of listeners, a lot of audience members, a lot of voters. They're not exactly sure what it all is. It's all conflated. They don't know what it all means. And so I think that the media needs to do a better job of focusing on what's important, explaining what it means and what it doesn't, and trying to filter out the noise as difficult as that job might be. You know, I think that's a really good point. It, as a culture, as a as a country right now, I think there's so much stuff in the zone all the time. There's so many things coming at people from so many different directions. And these cases are, these are like complex multivariate problems. These are not, you know, did the guy run a red light? It's much right. more in-depth than that. Is that something that journalism in this country has sort of um, let its muscles atrophy on a little bit? Because I feel like we've done a lot of horse race stuff for the last and a lot of what crazy thing did Trump say today for the last eight years? I mean, do you think that, that our that our national media, that the press is ready to scale into digging into a story like this that is so consequential and so complicated? I hope so. And they should be. I agree that there is a tendency and there continues to be a tendency, much to my chagrin, honestly, to treat the politics of this and everything, especially leading up to a presidential election, 
like the normal horse race style. And I've decided, mm-hmm. at least for myself, that I'm not going to simply do that, even when I am on, you know, whether it's in the Globe or on MSNBC or anywhere else mm-hmm. that I may appear. While I am talking about polls and the hold that Donald Trump seems to have on the Republican Party and what may happen in the primary or in the general, Mm -hmm. I also underscore the fact that what he's accused of isn't just a crime, it's undermining democracy. And that this is, we always say this every time, right? But this time it's for real. It's the most consequential election of our lifetime because it's very likely that the accountability for that may not come through the courts, or at least not in time, it may have to be delivered by voters. And I think we need to be clear to the voters who are willing to listen, just what the stakes are, and not just treat this as a, you know, who's up, who's down? Is it DeSantis? Is it Trump? I mean, that that's not the reality that we're living in right now. Yeah, I think you're right, though. There is a huge temptation to let the horse race thing, you know, and as I, I sort of facetiously say lately, guys, you can't make a horse race out of horse manure. This guy is, we've got to recognize he's sort of the, this sort of gigantic singularity in our politics where everything is drawn into the, you know, what does this mean? Because, you know, of his, his dominant role inside the party, his dominant role in this large criminal conspiracy, January 6th seems like a long time ago, but January 6th was the end point of a period of time in that, in that three-month window from Election Day to January 6th, or two-month window, that there was an active attempt to overthrow an, uh, an American election. Do you think people, uh, like, even in journalism sometimes, I feel like there's this like, yeah, 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 that was that thing that happened, and not not a recognition of how consequential and how, I mean, if this had gone the other way, if they had succeeded on January 6th, we'd be in a very different country right now, right? I mean, just a, a fundamentally different country. We really would. I mean, journalists are not historians. You know, it, we we are looking at what is happening in real time. We were all brought up on if it bleeds, it leads. It's all about the newest thing that's happening and what might happen next. And so in a way, the media is uniquely unprepared or, or <laughs> is in, inadequate to handle what's happening in that way mm-hmm. because context is often lost. And particularly now, you know, with social sure. media and very fractionized media sources. But I think we have to be a better, do a better job of being that first draft of history and talk to people who have an understanding of this. I mean, the the column that I wrote last week, I talked to mm-hmm. uh, people who studied the fall of democracies around the world right. and made it clear that all of the elements, the disinformation, the fomenting distrust in our institutions, in demonizing the opposite side, anybody who is against you as not just an enemy of you, but of America. The, these are the things, these are the ways that democracies that seem just as strong as America's have fallen across the globe and that there is a real risk of that. I know that sounds alarmist to say in a way, but it's not. I think that there needs to be a clearer eye on that. We can't just rely on those experts, you know, and hope that they get some airtime on TV because they're not (laughs) as exciting uh, to explain that. Right. Um, But I think that needs to be a part of the context of all of this. I think the more of that there is, 
the better. I know we, we do our best, Rick, but oh, I, there I, needs yeah. to be more. Uh, so, yeah, I, re- I read the piece. And, and you know, last week I interviewed Barbara Walter, uh, who wrote the book How Civil War Start. And it, it did strike me, again, there's a, there's a profound normalcy bias in our country, not only with, with, with the media, but with, with, with people. People would love for us to go back to being a country where we were like fighting about marginal tax rates or any of these other things that used to sort of define a hot political crisis. Now it's, you know, does the country survive? Does a, does a representative democracy survive? Does the American Republic make it? You know, there are, there's a drumbeat on the far right right now saying this is a civil war. If you go after Trump, it's a civil war. It's a civil war. And that is one of those things, as, as, as your article points out, as, as we silo out into different separate media silos, as we as distrust becomes like the, the coin of the realm for all of our interactions politically, as people segregate themselves into, into red states and blue states and red cities and blues or a red, red country and blue cities. And, and this divide, this division keeps going on and on and on. I feel like we have to challenge the normalcy bias. We have to challenge the idea that things are always going to work out somehow that America is going to have this sort of like providential bailout of our, of, of bad political climate that, yeah. that, you know, we've, 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 we've always survived in the past. Doesn't mean we're always going to survive in the future. Yeah, that's absolutely right. First things first, right? Democracy doesn't is not a self-fulfilling concept. It's mm-hmm. something that needs to be protected. It needs to be actively protected. So if you want to talk about tax rates, if you want to talk about small government, if you want to talk about the debt limit and all that kind of stuff, first and foremost, you have to protect democracy. None of those things still exist. The ability right. to have these policies policy differences won't matter anymore if you don't have the democracy underneath it. One one thing that I think is just problematic is that there is not a single leader. There is not a voice that has captured even the center part of our nation, the voice of mm-hmm. reason that people can listen to, that people can be inspired by, or that people respect there was a time that even you know someone from the a different political party when they spoke you would listen right i have never sure. been a registered republican i'm not registered in either party at the moment but i've never been a registered republican right. but after 911 did i listen to george w bush of course i did sure and did he act like a leader of course he did we don't have that anymore and i think that's one reason why we don't have that clear clarion call about what the stakes are. And that's a big problem. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo, modern management made simple. When I worked for the elder for Bush 41, I mean, he respected the opinions of, of people like Senator Sam Nunn from Georgia. And less after they may disagree on some of the details. They worked across the aisle on a lot of different things. As the end of the Cold War was happening, that was something that that did require a bipartisan solution. And today we end up with 
these things that are a little bipartisan on the edges, but they're not, but, but neither, but, but in, especially on the Republican side of the equation, it's like, yeah, they all want the things out of the infrastructure bill and the Inflation Reduction Act. None of them want to show up at the press conference or have their name on the on the on the billboard outside because they're afraid of their own partisans on their on their right flank will say, How dare you work with Joe Biden and the and the and the communists or whatever fantasy they have in their head that day about yeah. what the what the purpose of of working together is. And I do think that's right. I think it's it's hard to find it's hard to find people who are, you know, today's version of a John McCain or a Sam Nunn yes. or, you know, mm-hmm. stretching even further back like a Scoop Jackson or people that you could say there, yeah, I have a difference or two with so-and-so, but I, I believe even though he's in the other party, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, that person believes in the good of America. That person believes mm-hmm. that we should be working together to, you know, to keep, uh, no matter what our differences is, we're all going to stand, you know, shoulder to shoulder for the country. Unfortunately, I think, you know, January 6th showed us that that's not necessarily like a a center tenet of the Republican Party anymore. No, no. There were glimpses of it after January 6th. Mm -hmm. A couple of Republicans for a a moment, (laughs) for a moment demonstrated that. But we don't have the person that is standing on the proverbial pile of rubble in downtown New York City. Right. Speaking through the megaphone. We, We don't have that. We don't have even in the early Obama era, because I believe the division sort of started in Mm -hmm. the middle of that from the from the backlash to Obama's election. But I remember after that election, I was in an office building of somebody in an elevator with somebody who I knew was a Republican operative after Obama gave his speech in Chicago, accepting the the result of it and said to me, I worked against this guy getting elected, Mm -hmm. but this is a really cool moment for our country. We are bereft of that right now. And and I yeah. think that's one reason that we are here. I think, unfortunately, a lot of Democrats have now reached the point where they've, they've reached across the aisle and have their hands bitten enough times to know that there's that in the current incarnation of the GOP, you're just not going to get very many opportunities. I mean, you see once in a blue moon, you know, a little bit here and there in the Senate side, but in the House, it's just like open warfare, I, which I look. And I'm not saying the Democrats are completely innocent of this and they haven't played the same kind of ball game, but there is a difference. I think that's fundamental right now is that the Democrats have an approach to governance and the Republicans have an approach to power. And and it seems to me that that right now we're looking at a, a one party that is obsessed with power and control and using the power of the state against people. And Democrats are still trying to approach it, whether you agree with them or not. It's more programmatic and policy driven and philosophically driven than the retention of power and the application thereof. I think that that's a really good way to say it. I think in my latest column, I, I you know, stated that the attack on democracy is coming from one party and the right. other party is just failing to do enough about it. This is where we stand and that that is unsustainable. But I think that that is it. I mean, even before the attempted coup, I was talking to Democrats about the Supreme Court, you mm-hmm. know, back in 2016, before that election, saying, well, how Merrick Garland is on ice. Like, what are you going to do? And they talk about, you know, the importance of, of the rule of law. And, tradition, and, civility. You know, tradition and respect of the And I'm like, what are you talking about? These Republicans <laughs> are over there campaigning on the SCOTUS, taking it back. They have right. a plan. What's your plan? There was no plan. It was all about, you know, these theoretical 
ideas and uh, about what you know the judiciary should be and i was really frustrated by that you know as I, promoters I, i'm sure I, I, and that's how we got to where we are no i think you're exactly right i mean i had a t- conversation with a guy right after dobbs happened and he said i can't believe you know planned parenthood failed so bad i'm like this should not have come as a surprise to you they told you for no. 50 and i was never a social conservative right that was never my like mm-hmm. lane in the party Right. But the, I'm like, these people told you for 50 years, almost what they were going to do. They told you exactly step by step by step by step how they were going to do it. And the last step was to find the right window in the Supreme Court and replace as many justices in as quick a time as they could and race these cases through the lower courts. And, and so That's it's like exactly what they did. Don't be surprised when bad people do the bad things that you've been, you know, that, that you pretend that, that are that. That gentlemen won't do in World War One. You know, we started spying on the Germans, and and one of the people in the State Department was like, "Gentlemen do not read other gentlemen's mail." Well, when the other countries at war with you, you do read the other gentlemen's mail. You do treat them a little differently. What do you think the Democrats? Just if you could influence how they think about this moment, about how they not just politically, but how they how they communicate about their objectives. What would you What would you encourage them to do? I would encourage them to be more fearless. I mean, at this point, I am tired of arguments about, well, if we make this move or we try to pass this reform, then they're going to use it against us once they take, excuse me, they're going to do that anyway. Right. You can't be worried about that. You need to focus on doing what is right. Focus on doing what is just, Mm -hmm. even if it is not what you thought before we were in this crisis was politically expedient or would could backfire on you. It had, everything has already backfired. There right. is no more room left for it to backfire. Act boldly, protect voting rights, protect election work. I mean, read these indictments and see all of the things that went wrong. The, mm-hmm. the attempts to influence election workers, you know, the the Ruby Freemans and Shea Mosses of our country yeah. in, in ways to try to influence and threaten. I, I'm really tired of being hearing how Trump asked for 11,000 and some odd. No, he threatened. We heard that call. He threatened Brad Raffensperger with being charged criminally if right. he did not join in this conspiracy. Right. He coerced and threatened him. We need to protect against that. We need to stop the kind of gerrymandering that sort of made this unequal mm-hmm. minority rule that uh, has enabled this. We have to strengthen the pil- pillars of our democracy. We have to fix the impeachment power because we could have avoided all of this if we had a strong impeachment power. Yep. So that's what Democrats, if Democrats are by and large, with the exception of the few, the only folks right now that are focused on this, they need to do it and they need to make clear to the American people what they're doing and why. I think that's a really good point is that being fearless about this stuff, being fearless in in the defense of democracy, that to me, it's the right moral thing to do. It's the right political thing to do. And it's the right thing as a patriot to do is, again, like you said, this is not going to, the democracy doesn't like run itself. It requires people to do the work every single generation, every single time. It doesn't just it doesn't just skate down a path forever and ever without investment and effort. And and to a great degree, you're right. You look at the you look at the Trump case, and I'm not a lawyer, 
but but I I read the the indictments, and this thing was so broad and systematic, and ranged from the most boring legal maneuvers to again the threats against people like Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, mm-hmm. which which to my mind. To my mind, I am looking for the comeuppance for my old boss, Rudy Giuliani, and the rest of those people that threaten them at a level I can hardly tell you because they deserve, they represent the kind of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of folks who go out and do the election work. That's democracy. That's like hands-on democracy. And and to be called cheaters and to have their lives threatened and, and, and to live in fear and to have to move and all that. It is an outrage that's personalized in this, but so much of this, you know, I, I think Democrats often underestimate just how much Republicans love a plan and that they'll go at every single axis of a, of a problem until they find a way to get into it. And then they'll just drive and hard, drive as hard as they can. Yep. Yep. And right now, part of the Republican message coming from Donald Trump on down is that he's being attacked politically, because what is really happening is an attack on Americans. He's saying they're coming after me, mm-hmm, to get but to what you, they're really yeah. doing is coming after you. What these indictments charge, particularly, what both of them, but particularly in plain language, the Jack Smith mm-hmm. indictment says this was an attack on voters' ability to to vote and have their votes counted. This was an attack on all of you. So that's what Democrats right up to Joe Biden. Listen, I know Joe Biden wants to keep his hands off this and he doesn't, but he's also the candidate. He's also the candidate tasked with defeating Trump politically. And I think the core of his campaign should be protecting the rights of all Americans, regardless of party, regardless of where you live. They were all imperiled by what happened on the other side. And you need to protect that. And that's what the I and all the other Democrats here are trying to do and what Donald Trump and his acolytes are trying to do is take your power away to bolster their own. I think that's a clear, easy message. That's mm-hmm. as easy as build the wall. And that's what Democrats should come up with. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's true. And 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 look, Joe Biden in 2022, when he finally said the word, I mean, in the beginning of 2022 and late 21, I talked to a lot of Democratic activists and donors and they were like, oh, this election is going to be about fighting inflation and gas prices and food costs. And I was like, are you out of your mind? It's been a, a year since they invaded the Capitol. This election is going to be about democracy. And when the president came out and said, this election is about democracy, I think it framed the race for a lot of Americans in 2022. And I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think he needs to be out there at some point and say, you know, I'm not going to comment on the case itself. That I'm not going to comment on the details because I have nothing to do with that. But I will say the actions that are described in this case are a challenge to America. And if you folks aren't paying attention to what they did then, they're going to do it again. And I think he, I think he could make a lot of mileage on that without overstepping the, the bounds of communicating you know, to the DOJ some intentionality. But what the White House misses here is the Republicans are going to accuse Joe Biden, they already are, of running yeah. the entire program and saying, oh, this is all oh, just to beat Trump. You know, we all know that's BS. We know that's a lie, but it's the kind of lie the Republicans are very good at getting their base to believe. Well, let me ask you this, Rick. Let me ask you a question. Turn the tables a little (laughs) bit. Do you think that there are enough 
good conservatives who understand very well what the stakes are. Because, I mean, one reason that I think Joe Biden was elected is that a lot of people believed that he would try at least, Mm -hmm. whether he would be successful or not, to work in a bipartisan way. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did in the Senate. That's part of his brand. Sure. Still is. Do you think there are enough I think Republicans who can stand up and speak clearly about this threat, because that's necessary too. Sure. It's a great question. And and I think the answer is yes. I think there's a coalition out there of Republicans that in 2020, when we looked at it, depending on the state, they model between like three to 8% of the Republican population. Post January 6th and post Dobbs, that number has grown between seven and 11% in our models, at least. And so I think there is a large portion of that group that do believe in democracy, that are not comfortable with the mob rule idea, that 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 will walk away from it. It's not going to be easy to hold all of them. That's the work of persuasion where folks who are basically like me and a lot of my associates, you know, we, we look at Trump or his clones like DeSantis as not as a return to Republican power, but as a as a as a branching off into an authoritarian darkness for this country that that nobody of good faith or patriotism can can accept. So I think there are enough of them out there. They're part of a broader coalition. There are a lot of Republican women who who were always soft, you know, on the abortion issue. They they were either somewhat mildly or 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 quite pro-choice. And that's about 22 to 25 percent of the Republican female vote. Those folks they're going to vote on choice and they're they're not going to vote for Trump again. They they are very upset. We saw that play out in Kansas, Wisconsin and 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 Ohio this last week and we're seeing changes on the ground in places like Texas and Florida even on the abortion question because they Republicans have taken it way off the cliff. The dog caught the car as everyone jokes. So I think there's a big coalition out there and I'm optimistic about it. Obviously, I wouldn't do the work I do, you know, aside from right. this without a sense of optimism about being able to capture Republicans and conservative leaning independents and, and help them, you know, navigate this country out of what Trump is promising in a second term, which is vengeance, authoritarianism, a, a crazier and embra- crazier and crazier embrace of the, of the culture wars and all that. Yeah. I hope you're right. <laughs> I better be. <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, we're 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 a we're a country. Like I said earlier, we have we've been very providential. We've been very lucky a lot of the times that we've that we face these things. I'm hoping through like hard work and good work, we're going to end up with another good outcome. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kimberly Store, for joining us today on the Enemies List. It was a great conversation. I look forward to having you back again soon. Tell folks where they can find your writing and where they can where they can find you on social media. Yes. So you can find me in the pages of the Boston Globe or bostonglobe.com. Uh, you can listen to Hashtag Sisters in Law wherever you get your podcast, including where you get this one. And my handles on, what is it? X, X. and also threads <laughs> is Kimberly E. Atkins. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you again so much for joining us, Kimberly. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Well, joining us again on the enemies list this week the Republicans in the House of Representatives. I know you're thinking, oh my God, why isn't Trump and the indictments and all the craziness around that? It's really not. Because I want you folks to remember that in the coming weeks and months, you're going to see an unbelievable ramp up of all this bullshit from Jim Comer and Kevin McCarthy and, and Elise Stefanik, the Gretchen Wieners of, of Congress, 
um, and Matt Gates and Marjorie Three Toes and all the rest of the crazies and the kooks and the loonies, they're all going to be out there trying to make it the world into, oh, it's Hunter Biden's laptop and Hunter corruption and this. And they're going to be trying to impeach Joe Biden and they're going to try to impeach Vice President Harris and all the madness that's going to go on in the House. Once again, Kevin McCarthy, you are approaching another debt ceiling fight. You're going to go ahead and you're going to take us to the cliff again. You're going to hurt American markets again. For God's sakes, Kevin, have like the smallest microscopic shred of dignity and decency and lead your own caucus. Actually do some things for the people in this country, because the right now, the lunatics are in charge of the asylum. And if the more you put Comer and Jordan and the rest of these morons out in front, the less chance you have of having even the slightest scintilla of success with the American people in governing. And I know that doesn't matter to you on one hand. You've got your portrait now that you're going to be, you, you've been the speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. But your own people are going to lose seats in this election in part because you're letting them chase down the stupidity rabbit hole of Jim Comer and Jim Jordan and all this fake impeachment crap. So, Kevin, once again, you're on the enemies list. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times, please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.